From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. The Freeman Report and James Freeman on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hello. Wokeism is killing Canada, according to the leader of the People's Party of Canada and former Cabinet Office Minister Maxime Bernier. In a recent post on X, Bernier said the following, trans women are men. There are only two sexes. And if you think you're something else than a man or a woman, you're not another gender. You simply have mental problems. And I have to say, I agree with um, Bernier 100% on that statement. Um, Most Western countries have been infected by the woke mind virus, but Canada does seem to have been hit particularly hard. Why is that? And what is being done to fight back against this attack on the cultural values of Canada? Um, To answer these questions and more, Maxime Bernier will be joining me later in the show. But before that... What conclusions can we draw about a parliamentary system that does not tolerate criticism of government policy by those elected to represent the voice of the people? A parliament that hands out month-long bans to members for merely criticising government policy, and then when that doesn't work, trying to impeach members and ban them permanently, despite them being elected by the people. Member of the Israeli Knesset, Ofer Kassif, is clear that he is the voice against the war, the voice against the carnage of innocent civilians, the voice of the, for calling for the immediate release of hostages, and the voice for peace within the Israeli parliament, the Knesset. Ofer says his voice will not be silenced after a vote in the Knesset this week failed to impeach him. Now, after the vote um, failed, Ofer said, I'm appalled that 86 members of the Knesset voted in favour of an unlawful impeachment that shows the horrid and fragile state of the institutions of the government that claims to be the only democracy in the Middle East. And I think Ofer is right. How can Israel claim to be a democracy when it bans its members of parliament for calling a ceasefire? Ofer has received several temporary bans from Parliament now for merely expressing his opinions about the long-standing conflict. This latest attempt is an escalation of Israel's lack of tolerance for voices that question government actions. And I think this should concern everybody in the West, given the state of affairs in the Middle East particularly given other signs coming from the country that question its democratic credentials. In July 2023, after seven months of debate, the Israeli government managed to scrape the reason or scrap, sorry, the reasonableness clause that allowed the Supreme Court to overrule government decisions. This was despite widespread protests across the country in March that brought the country to a standstill. Yes, the government was forced to abandon plans to push through a larger package, but it is very worrying indeed that the government sought to weaken mechanisms that hold the government to account. 
The other curious thing about this is the timing of this attempt to weaken controls on what the government is able to do. Um, given that what happened in October, just a few months after the attempts by the government to weaken um, the mechanisms that hold it to account, did the government know that something was on the horizon? Israel's Supreme Court has never overturned a constitutional basic law before, and several government ministers have said that any attempt to do so would be illegitimate. What kind of actions did the government think it might need to take that its Supreme Court might want to try and overturn? To discuss this and his impeachment vote um, and the state of democracy or the lack of it in Israel, I'll be joined by Ofer Kasif right after today's breaking news with Gemma Cooper in a moment. And if that's not enough to whet your appetite, then stick around because I'll be discussing the new ONS methodology for calculating excess deaths with Jamie Jenkins, who is a former head of health analysis at the Office for National Statistics. We'll be talking all about this in the final segment of the show. And I'll be asking if this is a cynical attempt to airbrush excess deaths away um, under political pressure, or are there good reasons for updating how excess deaths are calculated? So stay tuned for all of this on the Freeman Report in just a moment. If you want to get in touch about anything on the show, then email me at jamesfreeman at tntradio.live. And to join the live chat, head over to tntradio.live and click on the chat icon. My name is James Freeman, and this is the Freeman Report for today's News Talk TNT. Going 360 on the headlines. It's really well-balanced conversation. Today's News Talk Radio TNT. Hi, Gemma. How are you doing today? Yes, very well, thank you. Yes, the reclassification of excess deaths. Oh, God, you know, how can we make them disappear? That's really the kind of facts of the matter. I mean, as you rightly say, you know, is there a, re a proper legitimate reason for the reclassification? I'd be really, 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 I'm always interested to hear the guests on the shows, but this one, Jamie, I want to really hear what he has to say because it does rather look like, you know, and then poof. They were gone. Yeah, because they're so, you know, they're so worried. They're so mm -hmm. worried. They can't have this. They can't keep having these figures coming out. They've got to do something and reclassification. It's just it's the same as died after a positive died after a positive test within the last 28 days, isn't it? That's all it is. Same thing. Same yeah. thing. To get the, num the numbers they want. Yeah. I'm sure there is some shenanigans going on, but there is also valid reasons for updating the methodology as well. And I'll talk all about that um, later in the show. But Yep, there is something fishy going on as Carl Hennigan and Jefferson, um, they wrote a piece in The Telegraph yesterday. They're from both from Oxford University there, um, and they think something fishy is going on, um, even if there was actually justified reasons for updating the methodology. But we'll talk all about that in the last segment of the show. I'll look forward to that. Just a little uh, a breaking story today uh, coming out of Russia. Um, you know, now that the uh, Julian Assange TNT coverage has died down, you know, we cast a, a, a curious eye across the landscape of media and politics globally. And uh, unsurprisingly, the warmongering on both sides uh, for World War Three with nuclear weapons continues. Um, th these have been dismissed as empty threats, but they've still been said today by a pro-war former Russian president. He's stepping up the imminent uh, possibility of nuclear 
threat from Russia. He's a very close Putin aide. He is uh, the deputy head of Putin's Security Council. And he said today that Russia is capable of starting a nuclear war, if not deliberately, then by accident. That's his, uh, that's his words today. He has said those words. They're not being spun up by the mainstream. He has actually said those words. It's Dmitry Medov. He says the Western leaders are impotent uh, and uh, they do miscalculate the risk of war. He says the clock is ticking. It's only going one way. And he says, uh, you know, the, the West's kind of um, uh, excuse of, oh, Russia would never do this. He says it's absolutely wrong. We will do it. if Even if it's by accident, we accidentally push the button and we, we, we annihilate the West. This comes off days after he said that if Russia is forced to give up territory uh, in Ukraine, he will, they will they will nuke Ukraine and and Belgium and Washington and London and and will, will use their nuclear strategic arsenal. Now, other pro-war commentators, Russian commentators, have said these threats are absolutely empty. But I'm using this as an illustration of the the kind of build-up on both sides. We're, we've heard so many headlines in Western mainstream press, America, the UK, Europe, about we must all pull together against the global threat of conflict with Russia. Some have said within the next 10 years, some have said within the next 10 months, uh, all stepping up towards you know, the possibility of the use of nuclear. We tested a Trident missile only a, a few days ago. It didn't work. Uh, but the very fact they're, they're testing nuclear uh, war, uh, missiles at a cost of £17 million a pop, literally it was a pop, it plopped back down into the ocean. But they are testing nuclear again. Uh, to you know, Is this just a distraction technique to keep us all frightened and not looking at other things that are going on globally? Or is this real? Uh, this Russian Dmitry Medov's uh, been described as empty threats. Who knows? Uh, but it's this relentless priming for World War Three, and this relentless use now of, of nuclear, both in the Western media and the and the and the Russian media, that I find very interesting. Uh, and we'll see if it does develop. You want to hope it develops the other way, and not the way that they seem to be pushing, pushing, pushing constantly now over the last few weeks for this to actually happen. Yeah, I mean, the nuclear test by the Trident submarine is just a routine test. I think there's been 192 um, of them so far since the deployment of the um, the subs. So that's just a routine um, test. Obviously, it's um, um, quite worrying, the fact that it was a failure and it was the second failure in a row of those tests. But um, it is just a routine test. Um not surprising, really, these comments coming out of Russia. Putin has also said exactly the same, um, you know, that if he's backed into a corner and he thinks that the Russia Russian country itself is being um, threatened by outside forces, then they will use the bomb. And, you know, we might not hear America saying that, but, um, you know, Canada and Mexico don't exactly pose a threat. But if Russia was it? You, the US's border, you know, in Mexico or Canada, putting nuclear weapons and building up forces and the like, I'm sure we would hear the same rhetoric from the US. Now, that doesn't mean it's okay, but what it does show is the reasons why we're hearing this from the Russians, because they feel threatened by NATO, which has been slowly, slowly um, moving closer and closer towards its border. We all know if you are, if you, you will know if you watch TNT that, um, you know, there was around, I think it was uh, half a dozen, it might have even been a couple of dozen bio labs, which were owned by American weapons manufacturers um, on the Ukraine border, right by Russia. Um, God knows what was going on in the these bio labs, and that was one of the reasons um, Putin gave originally for the invasion of Ukraine, because they're worried about what is going on and the threat that NATO poses. So, no surprises there, really. And um, you know, I'm not justifying 
what Russia's done and what Russia d- continues to do. But it's not surprising if NATO is going to continually poke the bear. Don't be surprised if it bites back. That's my analysis anyway. Gemma, I'm going to move on today because um, we've got three guests on the show today. So I want to make sure we've got enough time to cover all these important issues. But thank you very much for that story. And it's another Friday tomorrow. Can't believe it's another week nearly gone by. So I look forward to speaking with you then. To the rest of you, um, don't go anywhere because after this short break, we'll have Ofa Kasif, who is a sitting member of the Israeli Knesset, the Israel Parliament. So stay put with us here, right here on TNT. TNT's Misty Winston. The Australian Parliament recently, I think it was yesterday, passed a motion 86 to 42. Uh, it was put by independent MP Andrew Wilkie, who is a longtime very vocal supporter of Julian Assange. Uh, and this was about, it said that the incarceration for extradition of Julian Assange has gone on for too long. The UK and USA should bring the matter to a close so that Mr. Assange can return home to his family. Um, and Wilkie tweeted out, I successfully moved a motion to recognize the importance of bringing Julian Assange's extradition to an end. The government voted for it in an unprecedented show of political support for Julian. The US must heed these calls and drop the extradition and that is uh unbelievable kind of misty winston on today's news talk tnt in a democracy the majority vote rules but in most democracies you can only vote for change every three or four years to understand what people want governments and political parties use focus groups these focus groups can include as little as 20 people australia is a country of over 25 million people Does making decisions based on 20 people sound fair to you? Have your say. Be heard in between elections. Download the 4MySay app now. That is number four, my say. Today's News Talk Radio. Come on, let the man talk. We never censor our hosts. Good. Now, talk. Uncensored news. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Right, okay. Um, we haven't been able to get hold of Ofa yet, so we're continuing to try and get hold of him. Um, so um, but we're lucky enough to have the brilliant Gemma Cooper. Um, so we're gonna talk a little bit about farming because um it's all kicking off here in Wales. Um, I saw a video yesterday of um Gareth Wynne Jones, who's been on the Freeman Report a couple of times in the past few weeks. Um, he was talking about there's gonna be a blockade of the Welsh government um next Wednesday. So really looking forward to that. And also yesterday when I was on social media, I saw that um, Mark Drakeford, the first minister of Wales, had had to very quickly scupper away from a public engagement um, because loads of farmers had turned up in their tractors. Um, and like the coward he is, he jumped in the car and, and off he sped. Um, Gemma, um, what other because obviously you you're following all of the the international stories on the here what what is the latest in this story globally um of the farmers well i mean the indian farmers are really kind of the, the latest uh, in well there was several this week actually is this this story just gathers momentum globally but i think the indian farmers are significant because they were so successful with their um advance on the on the indian capital delhi in 2020 you see they were doing this long before the europeans kind of thought right enough's enough we're standing up against the system it was the indian farmers that d- staged a huge huge sit in it was a year long many farmers died uh, sleeping out at 
silent night. Um, but they won. They won. They they did make the the Indian government back down on agricultural reforms. And this week they're advancing on the on the capital again to get a, a price assurance, minimum price assurance on all their crops. Twenty three crops they want a minimum price guarantees for. Now they're in a sit in at the moment as we speak, a sit in protest because they resumed their march on the Indian capital yesterday after a week again of, 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 of kind of not ceasefire, but they, they stopped marching from the Punjab and Saranya uh, provinces in the north down towards Delhi. They, they'd stopped for a week, um, but they resumed yesterday. And uh, yesterday there were a lot of clashes between the police and farmers. Police fired uh, bullets, there was tear gas, and one 22-year-old man who was there was shot in the head and he, he has died. That's been confirmed. He died from a bullet wound to the head. So because of that, because of violence, the Indian farmers are now sitting in. They're sitting in protesting. They sat down. They say they don't want any violence. They were calling the police their brethren. They were saying to the police, Indian police, stand with mm. us, um, which I think is very significant. Um, but of course, the Indian government are terrified of a repeat of 2020. They don't want them anywhere near the capital. They're about 120, 125 miles away at the moment, um, but they really don't want them there because there's a general election in, in a month's time in India. And they just, they really just don't want the headlines and they don't want the, the, the scale of the uh, protest, you know, really sort of becoming a, a conscious issue once again within the minds of the Indian public. So they're the, I think they're the most relevant at the moment because they were instrumental in kicking off farming protests in 2020. Um, but of course, we had uh, scenes in Madrid over the last 24, 48 hours and in Athens as well. Huge, huge uh, convoys of tractors in both Spain and Greece heading to those capital cities. And, and in Madrid, people took their animals with them. There was a farmer that led a cow through the protest, and there was a, a guy in a cart being pulled by two oxen in, in Spain, and the cart was loaded with fake uh, 500 euro notes. Um, a kind of nod, I think, to that is the average take-home, a monthly take-home pay of a European farmer at the moment. Um, and also the fact that money is just being burned on these new regulations. Um, so that's where we are uh, currently. But of course, it comes off the back of all of the European protests we've seen in the last uh, two, three, four weeks, last few months. And also the UK farmers who two weeks ago, almost now, uh, came out in protest at Dover. And it takes a lot to radicalise UK farmers, British farmers, but it's happening. It really is happening. Yeah. And we look ahead to next week it is and i tell you what in wales here it's um quite amusing really because um you know the farmers they said they you know they want to keep the public on side they were taking a very softly softly approach trying to talk to the welsh government about its policy of basically saying to farmers that if you want subsidies in the future now that we don't get them from the european union then you're going to have to sign up to this um request to put over 20 percent of your land to trees and wildlife now you know th so the i don't think the farmers wanted um some very sort of con confrontational protests however in the last week um mark drakeford has blamed the farmers in the welsh parliament he stood up and said well it's their fault because they voted for brexit now that's really interesting because all of the farming unions in wales despite the fact that wales as a country voted um to leave the european union um a very very slim vote um less so even smaller um a slimness than 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 in 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 england but um all of the farming unions actually voted and 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 called for remain and there's no evidence whatsoever that all the farmers voted for brexit so for him to stand up and say that um and and actually blame them for this policy is ridiculous in itself number one 
they you know there's no evidence they voted for brexit but number two the fact you know this policy of turning over 20 percent of agricultural land to, to trees and wildlife well that's the policy of the welsh government what's that got to do with brexit or um, farmers voting for brexit so it's a total own goal um for the welsh government here because i think those comments have really riled up the farmers um, and really made them angry. And yesterday we saw hilarious scenes of, um, I think it was a, a sports centre or something of the of the like that um, Mark Drakeford was visiting. And all these farmers turned up and then his car had to actually reverse right up to the door of this big building. And you could see him just quickly jumping in his car and being driven off at speed. So yeah, some proper shenanigans going on in Wales. Um, you know, um, Welsh politicians here, they don't seem to get it right very often. Um, you know, I know we've got some terrible politicians in the UK Parliament, um, but in Wales here, we do have to have a, we do seem to have a very special kind of politician um, in charge. It's interesting there. I had a visual image of Mark Drayford speeding away in his non-electric car and certainly not doing 20 mile an hour speed limit. You know what I mean? It's always do as we say, not as we do. And that applies to the policies they're trying to implement on farming. It's do as we say. And and where, you know, the policies are not just Welsh government policies, are they? These This whole kind of, you know, the trees and the flowers and the wildlife. These are part of rewilding policies, which are very much part of Agenda 2030. It's about creating uh, parts of the countryside because they've been rewilded to the extent where they might have quite dangerous animals in their wolves and bears in some cases uh, you, there's a there become no go areas so this is kind of a soft creep in towards that agenda many people say yeah and the other thing that's really um quite amusing about all of this is obviously the welsh government this is um they're claiming this is a a push to save the planet environmental and whatnot but the thing is you know we've got an opportunity in wales to um use the farming land and, and the food we grow there to actually um feed people in the uk um the less farming land we we use for growing food in the uk the more we need to import um and we all know what you know what that means in terms of uh, resources in terms of co2 not that i believe in that but you know their own argument and all of that so um yeah the whole thing is an absolute mess right okay i can see we've managed to get maxime bernier um in early i'm not quite sure what's happened to um ofa but um i'm sure there's a good reason um why he um, is not about but um hello maxime how are you doing thank you very much i'm very pleased to be with you this morning thank you yeah maxime um Obviously, you're the leader of the People's Party of Canada. I guess the first place to start then is how are things going for the party? For the party, it's going very well. As you know, we are the, uh, the only and real populist party in Canada. We are fighting for the country, for Canadians. And actually, uh, this party has been created in 2018. And uh, our first election for us was in 2019. We had 1.6% of the vote. But at the next election in Canada in 2021, we were able to more than triple our score to 5%. And here in Canada, we believe that the next election will be in October 2025. So we'll still have uh, a year and a half before the next uh, general election. And as you know, we have a socialist government in Canada, Justin Trudeau, the Liberal, with uh, and we have a coalition uh, with the NDP, so um, it's uh, it's a little bit difficult for lovers of uh, individual freedoms. Uh, we have a big government, 
And as you know, what Trudeau did during the COVID hysteria by uh, all his uh, very authoritarian measures. But now what is happening in our country? We have a big deficit. Inflation is around 3%. And actually also uh, we have uh, open borders immigration crisis in Canada. And Bernier, what do you make? Um, I've seen a video of Trudeau in the last couple of days. In fact, actually, we've been playing it out here on TNT of Trudeau um, blaming um, new media stations like TNT and other um, platforms on the Internet for the demise of mainstream media. Um, What do you make of those comments? (laughs) Oh, my God. Justin Trudeau is uh, financing and giving subsidies to the mainstream media and uh, actually we don't have an independent mainstream media anymore and so uh, the competition is coming from the independent media uh, on 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 social media and uh, they are growing in canada and not only in canada but everywhere so he doesn't like that because there's competition and the truth is coming from the independent media so uh, yeah yeah you know that's uh, that's 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 just Saint Trudeau. Uh, he doesn't like anything that is not in line with his propaganda. Yes, exactly. And that was the the kind of point I was trying to get to, because he's trying to argue that it undermines the cohesiveness of Canadian society, the fact that we can't form public opinion in the way that we used to. Um, it's quite extraordinary, really, isn't it? Um, that he's kind of, I mean, you know, hes he, in a way, he's kind of saying, well, we can't manipulate the public like we used to. Absolutely. That's what he was saying. And uh, we must admit that he was very successful during COVID uh, because the media was uh, was only speaking about uh, the fact that the government, everything that the government was doing during COVID was okay and didn't question anything. Uh, that's why at least we we had the independent media. But yeah, Justin Trudeau, when, he's, when he does not control the media, he's not happy with that. <laughs> I mean, no politician is, I guess, but, you know, um, the good politicians accept the fact that that is um, part of democracy and it's a good, there's good reasons why that is a good thing for all of us. Um, Maxime, we're going to take a quick break now for the news headlines. And when we come back, um, there's a couple of things I'd like to talk to you about. First of all, wokeism, because I think, you know, that that mind virus has definitely attacked um, Canada more than it has a lot of other countries, but also the Emergencies Act. Um, I'd, I'd like to know what's going on with that. Obviously, the government lost that case um, in its use of the Emergencies Act. But, um, you know, are they um, looking to appeal that case? What's the government saying? And what do the general public think of it? So we'll cover all of that after this short break now. So don't go anywhere, Maxime. Stay right there on TNT. Newsflash! Now, let's go! TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Venezuela's president has backed his Brazilian counterpart in condemning Israel's relentless assault on Palestinians in Gaza. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has expressed his upset over the fact that more people than ever before no longer trust the mainstream media. And the American Red Cross has confirmed people who refused to take the experimental COVID-19 jab could be receiving blood from vaccinated donors. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda, it never stops. 
for the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations. Vote one. TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. Right, now, Maxine, let's start off with this Emergencies Act. Um, We all know the Trudeau government lost its case um, in the High Court there in in Canada in terms of its use of that act to suppress the truckers' um, protest. What's the latest on that? Is the government going to appeal that? And also, I'd like to know, what do you think the general public make of all of that? Yes, uh, the government decided to appeal that decision. Uh, I strongly believe that it would be very hard for the government to have a decision in in their favor because the judge, uh, you know, was uh, clear and all these uh, arguments that I was uh, and the what I was and a lot of other uh, freedom fighters Canadians were saying at that time when uh, that happened two years ago, we were saying that it was illegal, unconstitutional, and Trudeau didn't have the right to invoke the Emergencies Act. We were right. The judge said that we were right. So now, and that's important because for a lot of Canadians, they will be able to sue the federal government for what they did to them. And that's a nice opening for Canadians. So we'll wait. I believe that the earring will come in about six months. Uh, but I strongly believe that we'll be able to uh, win that win that and keep that decision uh, that it was illegal and unconstitutional to invoke the Emergencies Act. So this is a, a potential political mess, isn't it, for the Trudeau government? Because if... Um... If, you know, that that ruling comes in six months and it goes against the government um, and then people do decide to sue the Trudeau government, all of that's going to be going on in the run up to the election, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. All that will happen a couple of uh, months before the election and that will help. But actually, the the economy is going down, our, our purchasing power is going down. And after, uh, you know, 10 years of the Trudeau, nine years of the Trudeau government, uh, he is not winning in the polls right now. So uh, I believe that the next election will be the last one for Trudeau. Yeah. And of course, we've got a by-election coming up, haven't we? Um, Tell us about that election and what you think is going to happen. Yes, in Durham, in uh, the province of Ontario, there's a by-election. The election will be in March 4th. Uh, We have a candidate over there. She's doing very well. Uh, but actually, uh, the liberal the liberal candidate is not doing well. So uh, I I strong I believe strongly that uh, we'll be able to do something important over there because, as you know, the People's Party of Canada uh, does not have a, a candidate in Parliament, and that's an opportunity for us with that by election. Yeah. And of course, you know, we've got the Conservatives, your old party, the Conservatives in um, Canada. You know what? 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 What's um, the the view of the public of them at the moment? Because you've had all of this shenanigans going on, the Emergencies Act. We've had all the the nonsense around COVID. Have they managed to keep their hands clean through all of this, or do you think the public see them as part of the problem as well? No, they are not seeing them right now as part of the problem. It's sad, but that's the reality. Uh, the public is really focused on getting getting rid of, rid of Trudeau. They didn't want Trudeau anymore. 
And so uh, Pierre Poliev, the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, he, uh, you know, is not speaking against, you know, the woke ideology uh, is part of that. He's not speaking, uh, you know, against the Paris Accord. Uh, he is for the war in Ukraine. Uh, all that like Trudeau. Uh, but right now is uh, winning in the polls. And we'll see uh, a lot of things can happen before the next election in 2025. Yeah. And um, a really important question, um, Maxime, is wokeism killing Canada? Because, as we, you know, I said in my introduction, um, it seems that Canada, I mean, it's a problem that many countries are suffering. We've got the problem in the UK here, but it does seem that Canada has suffered pretty badly. What is going on at the moment and what are you doing as a party to fight back against this? Oh, yeah, we are. We are the only national political party, the Conservatives, uh, under Pierre Polyev uh, is not doing anything there. They don't want to speak about that. For them, it's like there's no there's no challenge, there's no problem. But yes, uh, in Canada, it's there. The Trudeau government is pushing the uh, the woke ideology and and the diversity, uh, e equity, and uh, inclusion. Uh, it's everywhere in Parliament and in different in different governmental programs. It's unfair, it's discrimination, it's racism, it's sexist, and we must end all that because, you know, it's not in line with our Western civilization values. Everybody must be equal before the law. And with uh, that woke ideology pushing these programs, it is not the case. It is the opposite of that. We are creating different uh, uh, class of citizens with that ideology, and we must end that. And we are speaking strongly against that. Uh, but the conservative and all these other establishment political parties, for them, they're okay with that that ideology. Uh, they are they 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 won't do any anything to fight that. And what are some of the worst um, uh, sort of um, laws that have been brought in? I mean, I've heard of this law in Canada. I think Scotland wants to bring this in as well, which is, you know, if you've got a child that decides they want to change gender, um, it's, I mean, this is totally crazy. I mean, I can't even believe that this is, is real, that if you as a parent don't go along with this and try and then you could be put in jail for that. Um, what other laws and, and examples are you seeing in Canada of this wokeism? Oh, absolutely. Uh, that's the Bill C-4 in Canada. And it did bill if you, uh, the conservative, the liberals and all these establishment political parties in parliament voted, voted unanimously for that Bill C-4. And that bill is the bill that is promoting the transition of kids. I must admit that there's no transition. You know, a boy cannot be a girl and a girl cannot be a boy. That's it. <laughs> and and it's sad to say, but I'm the only politician in Canada that is saying that there's only two sexes and you cannot transition. But Polyev voted for that, voted for that transition. Uh, and right now, you know, you have a debate in different provinces, like in Alberta, where the prime minister over there said, no, in our province, you know, a kid's you cannot transition. You cannot uh, give uh, puberty hormones to minors. Uh, but in other provinces, you can do that. So at the federal level, the the, the government or, or the opposition must table a bill to change the criminal code that to prohibit the, the use of puberty blockers to minors. But it's not the case. We have a bill that is doing the opposite, that is uh, promoting the transitioning of kids. 
So that's why in Alberta, they they understand that it can happen. So the prime minister over there said it won't happen in our province. So that's becoming a national debate. But Poliev uh, is uh, is not ready to change that by you know changing the criminal code. Um, and and we we've got to go to the news um, break in a moment, um, Ben um, Maxine. But um, what do you think is driving this? Because in the UK we've got you know the likes of Stonewall, and we've got all these other organ mermaids, and all these other organisations which are pushing this ideology, particularly in schools and stuff. Is is that where this is coming from in Canada? Because there is no logical argument behind these laws; they just seem absolutely crazy. So, what what is what is behind the scenes pushing these um, new laws? Money coming from the federal government. The Trudeau government is giving a lot of money, millions of dollars to different groups. And, and these uh, groups are promoting that ideology uh, everywhere in school and in different organizations. So that's why you, you, we need to cut the funding. But that's coming from my money as a taxpayer. So, yeah, they're very active because they they received a lot of money coming from the Liberals government in Canada. Right. OK, um, Maxime, thank you so much for coming on the Freeman Report. Obviously, you, you know, you've been on many times before. We'll have to get you on again soon. I'll be really interested to hear what happens in that by-election, which I think is going to be a litmus test on the Trudeau government. And it sounds like it's not going to go very well for them. So um, fingers crossed there. Maxime Bernier, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much, Maxime. Thank you. I'm very pleased to have that opportunity to be with you this morning. Thank you. Have a nice day. Yep, yeah, you too, Maxime. Right, okay. Um, we've uh, we've talked about lots on the show already. We talked about the farmers. We talked about what's going on in Canada. Um, but next up, we're going to talk about a very, very sticky or fishy issue, I should say. Um, and it is the fact that the Office for National Statistics has try um, decided to change the methodology it uses to calculate excess deaths. Now, this is obviously a hot political potato um, because, you know, there's been lots of petitions um, over the next uh, over the last six months calling for an investigation into what's going on. There are suspicions there's been political pressure on the ONS to make this methodology choice um, or change rather. But is the change justified? Well, um, stick around because after this short break, I'm going to be talking about all of this with my old colleague from the Office for National Statistics, Jamie Jenkins, to so stay right here with us on TNT. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Candace Owens made an interesting comment earlier this week. She said that Taylor Swift reported that Lena Dunham taught her feminism. And apparently, according to Candace, this new wave of feminism teaches that you can get whatever you want as long as you portray yourself as a victim just because you're a woman. And Tay-Tay has done this repeatedly over the years and reaped over a billion dollars as her reward. But is this feminism? Isn't this the cliched damsel in distress, feminine wiles trope from which the Betty for Dan feminists were trying to liberate women? I think there's something to that. What do you think? For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for today's News Talk, TNT. One in four Australian women experience domestic violence in their lifetime. Staying is dangerous, but leaving can mean homelessness for them and their children. 
With your generosity, the Salvos can provide crisis services and ongoing support, helping women find a way out of violence and a way back into a safe and stable life. Help us leave no one in need. Please donate to the Red Shield Appeal today. The Freeman Report and James Freeman on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, so the Office for National Statistics has revised its estimate of the number of excess deaths. In the UK um, last year at 10, well, just shy of 11,000 deaths, the new number is two-thirds lower than the previous figure of just over 31,000. Um, The revised method accounts for population size and ageing trends as opposed to the previous method, which just used a five-year average to estimate the number of expected deaths in a year. Now, Carl Hennigan, the director of the Centre for Evidence-Based Medicine, and Tom Jefferson, a senior associate tutor at Oxford um, University, published a very, very good piece in The Telegraph yesterday called Something's fishy about the ONS's excess death figures. Now, they start off by saying that this new approach is fine, and actually, it's very long overdue. Indeed, in the pandemic, they say that we they were concerned um, with the use of historical averages in estimating excess deaths, particularly as it tended to underestimate how many deaths should be expected in a particular year. However, Hennigan and Jefferson say that ONS claims that the differences between the old figures and those generated by the new methodology have generally been accounted for by trends in population size, ageing and mortality rates are not true for all years. Um, In the really important years of 2022 and 23, by far the biggest contributors to the changed figures are lumped together under a category of changes called other changes. I wonder why, what is driving that? Um, They comment um, quite what's in this bucket of changes isn't totally clear. They then go on to ask the important question about why now, given that these figures were used to justify lockdowns, why didn't the ONS do this earlier? Which is a bloody good question, because what it asks is if there has been political pressure that the ONS has come under to make these changes. I mean, I will go further and ask if there's been pressure to reduce the numbers as far as possible. Um, Like I said, you know, we've got the model which has reduced excess deaths, but then we've also got this other changes category and nobody seems to know what is driving those changes. Um, Other estimates for excess deaths last year remained substantially higher than those produced by the ONS's new method. So what to make of it all? Well, Hennigan and Jefferson go on to say it is clear to us that something is not right. And while we do not fully understand the, the, um, the new model used by the ONS, there have been more deaths than expected since the pandemic. Now, it's really interesting that they don't understand this model. It is a bit of a black box, and I will be talking to Jamie about that in a moment. Um, But before that, they do go on to say that last year, the, the British Heart Foundation reported that since the onset of the pandemic, as of June 2023, there have been nearly 100,000 excess deaths in England, just England, involving heart disease or other cardiovascular diseases. Um, And the number of premature deaths from heart disease soared to a 14-year high after COVID. 
Yet the government appears to lack any appetite for investigating the root causes. In May last year, Estimate Vey MP uh, submitted a written question in Parliament asking the then Secretary of State for Health and Social Care if his department would conduct an in in investigation into excess deaths. The response we got back for that was there are no plans to commission such an investigation. Very fishy indeed. So to discuss all of this, I'm delighted to be joined by Jamie Jenkins, um, who's actually a former head of health analysis. So he's definitely qualified to talk on these numbers. Hello, Jamie. How are you doing? Yeah, all good, James. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you. So, Jamie, let's dive straight in. Um, I guess, first of all, before we start tackling the different issues here, what do you make of this change overall? Yeah, so the ONS has made a change. I've been critical of the ONS's last method, and we've discussed excess deaths on the show over the last year or so, and they have been overestimating them. And it's probably worth me explaining just using some simple numbers because this people think, well, what's going on here? So, what we got, let's just take uh, what is excess deaths to start? So, excess deaths is pretty much having a look at how many deaths have we seen, say, in a particular year. So let's just take 2023 as an example. And how does that compare to another period? And if the two periods massively differ, you might say, oh, look, there's loads more people dying than what we would have expected. And that's kind of what excess deaths are. The difficulty is, what do you compare with? So if we just take um, people over the age of 70 as an example. So we know that around 80% of all deaths in a typical year are people over the age of 70. And if you go back to 2015, in the United Kingdom, there were 7 million people over the age of 70. If we go to 2023 now, it's estimated around 8.4 million people are over the age of 70. So there's 1.4 million people in the population, among where 80% of them, of course, would die. And in terms of when you look at the overall number of deaths, 80% of all deaths are over the age of 70. So we've got 1.4 million more people you would in that kind of at risk of death population if you compare deaths in 2023 to 2015 you're going to get a load more excess deaths if you compare those two periods so what the ons were doing is comparing say the latest period with an average uh, when we were in 2020 2021 they were comparing it to the average of 2015 to 2019 and then they started taking out 2015 dropping in, I think took 2020 out. So they've been trying to compare the previous ones, but the difficulty, which is why I've been critical in the past, James, is when you're just comparing to raw numbers, these significant population and demographic changes can have a big impact. So I think it's the right thing to have done it, but should they have done all this modeling, that's something we could delve into. Yeah. So, um, Jamie, I have to agree with you. I mean, you know, I was at the ONS as well. I didn't work in health statistics, but I know people that um, and I still speak to those people um, who um, did work in on health statistics. And the excess deaths calculations have been a problem for a while. This is not just something which has come up over the pandemic. Um, you know, leading experts have known of this problem um, for quite some time. What do you make, though, of the the timing of this? Because it doesn't look good, does it? You know, um, obviously the excess death figures were partially um, responsible for um, the calls for lockdown and they were used to justify them during the pandemic. And yet we saw no rush then for the ONS to revise the methodology. What do you make of the timing, first of all? So when we were in 2020, the, the further away we've got from kind of those lockdowns, the worse the problem 
become because we've got a phenomena of these post-war baby boomers. So we had fewer births during the Second World War, a lot of births after, and they're the ones who are driving a little bit of this problem that we've got. But uh, the, the big thing for me is, so I've been doing my own adjustment of all of the figures for the last year, 18 months. I don't get paid for doing this. I just do it, to, you know, try to inform the public. So the first question is, why are so-called experts at the Office for National Statistics been publishing the old method for so long. It didn't take me very yeah. long to go in, take some of the data that they've even issued on their own website and do a proper job of it. So it's been a dog's dinner in terms of what they've been publishing for the last year. So when people say they've erased loads of excess deaths, they should never have published these figures in the first place. But what the new methodology does do, James, some of the things I've been calling for, where you touch upon what Esther McVeigh was saying about investigating excess deaths, Okay, so the overall numbers have come down, and that's pretty much because they've wiped out some of the excess deaths among these older age groups, because I've just talked about this population of older people, et cetera. But we still have the same issues of excess deaths among younger people, people among the ages of, say, 45 to 59. So that story hasn't changed. So again, why is there no investigation going on about that? That is still at the nub of the problem, I think. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll get to that in a, in a minute, Joe, Jamie. But I want to stay on, just make one more comment on the politics of it, because I do think that um, regardless of whether this methodology change was needed or not, to do it right now and not it's, it's very very unfortunate i think for the ons so they haven't been on this um on top of this before because you know the importance of these numbers over the last few years and you know and there's lots of people on social media who'll be looking at what they've done and they'll be well i mean it's a valid question isn't it you know um there's been petitions of over a hundred thousand people calling for an investigation estimate they has stood up in parliament andrew bridgen has been going on about this for a long time and then suddenly the ons changed their methodology and it brings down the the deaths by um two-thirds you know it's not a good um pr exercise for the ons um the other thing um jamie if we move on is the methodology um, that they've chosen to use because it's? I think it is quite telling that Carl Hennigan says that he doesn't fully understand the methodology. So, if they don't understand the methodology, then you know the general public. Um, it's a bit of a black box, isn't it? Which again, it's not a great PR exercise if people cannot, they don't understand how the the numbers are being calculated, and also nobody can replicate them. No, I do agree with you there. So the, the old method was pretty simple. It was just how many deaths have we seen and what was the average, say, deaths over a certain period of time, all published. Take one minus the other, and there you go. Anybody can download the data, can get it. I think people are calling this fishy. Main reason being they're using some Poisson regression model. So that's why I think where the fishy quotes starting to come into some of this. I'm not sure they needed to do that. You know, there's rights and wrongs are doing different ways. I would have just kept it simple. You know, if I was still there, I would have kept it very simple. What I've been doing the last 18 months, James, is just saying, okay, what is the chance of dying in different age groups? So you basically look at how many deaths have we observed, say, over a period, uh, how many in the population, look at the chance of dying, and then apply that to the current population structure. Sticking everything into a model that you can't actually then replicate, for me, is probably what I wouldn't have done that, but other people will have different views on it. So I think, yeah, the model isn't as transparent as some people would like. I would have done it differently. You know that they've chosen to go this way. Yeah, 
Yeah. Again, I think the fact that it is a black box and also the timing of all of this, it's not a very good PR exercise for ONS. I mean, the other thing that Carl Hennigan and Jefferson raised as well is that the two biggest years where we've seen excess deaths, a lot of the changes which the ONS have made has not actually been done by the model. It's been lumped into other changes. There's a big question mark of what, what has driven those other changes as well. And I think that's significant about all of this. But to tie this up, because there are other things I want to talk to you about, Jamie, I think the conclusion to all of this is the, the question marks over excess deaths still haven't gone away because we're still seeing people of younger age groups dying of things which they shouldn't be dying of and we're seeing more of those despite the fact that we've got this new methodology they are still present those excess deaths so i think the, the conclusion to all of this is that the ons um, has done a pretty poor job in managing this but this question still remains we've still got excess deaths and the government is not investigating i think that is the conclusion to all this um jamie um vaughan gething um, he was on a, um, a question time on um, TV in, in Wales recently. For those of you who don't know, Vaughan Gethin was the health minister during the COVID um, era in Wales here. He is now the head, one of the, the front runners to be first minister after Mark Drakeford um, goes very imminently. Um, tell us what he's been saying about lockdowns recently, Jamie. Yeah, so it was, it was yesterday evening, actually, James. So there's a... Uh... Mark Drakeford, which we've talked about in the past, he's standing down as First Minister. So it was a broadcast of the two prospective leaders for Welsh Labour to become the next First Minister. And uh, the host of the uh, what you would class as that one-on-one -on -one debate actually asked him about the COVID inquiry that's going on. And there's going to be some Welsh-specific questions coming up soon, which Vaughan Gethin will have to give evidence at. And he was asked about, you know, would he have done anything differently? And he pretty much came out and said, with, with hindsight now, if I would do things differently, I would have locked down earlier. Now, we just talked about excess deaths, James. That's one of the topics we were just, you know, just discussing there. And you look at Sweden, very, they, they had some kind of not compulsory kind of lockdowns. Some people voluntary reduced movement, but one of the least restricted countries across Europe, one of the lowest excess deaths. So, you know, it comes back to evidence-based policymaking. On what rationale is he saying, I would lock down mm. earlier? It kind of just goes to show these people in power, they're drunk on power. Uh, because why would you lock down earlier when you look at the overall evidence across the different parts of the world? Yeah, and, and the evidence about lockdowns is that they didn't stop the virus, clearly, because we kept on having to have successive lockdowns afterwards. But there is lots of evidence to the harms, um, you know, the harms to the social fabric of the country, to the economy. Um, that's one of the reasons we're seeing a lot of the inflation now. Um, and also to, you know, the education of our kids. There are many harms which have been documented now. So what a stupid thing to say. Um, like you said, um, you know, the evidence actually argues against that policy and yet he's saying that he would double down and do more of it um with hindsight um absolutely shocking uh, jamie before you go have you got any comments on this uh policy by the welsh government to um to make farmers um turn over 20 percent of their land um prime agricultural land to trees and wildlife if they want to get subsidies going forward yeah, so if you look at it on face value, Mark Drakeford, the first minister who said he's standing down, said in the Senate Parliament the other day that it's the fault of the farmers because they voted for Brexit. That's pretty much the, his own words saying that, because basically what he means there is if we didn't have Brexit, that meant, would mean that the Welsh government wouldn't have the power to do this. 
But what an absolute nonsense thing to say, to come up with the fact. So yeah. is he saying, we're punishing you because Wales had Brexit? It, it, the policy, you know, there's no harm in planting some trees, but going for biodiversity. But this blanket, it's a bit like the 20 mile an hour, blanket everywhere. They've already realised they've made the mistake there. The, the current Devon Gethin and Jeremy Miles are saying, yeah, we do, do need to look at that 20 mile an hour. They go with these policies. It's one size fits all. Absolute nonsense, James. You know, this is a country we're living in. It's just been decimated by these politicians. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, I, I'm smiling and I'm laughing because it does make me happy because look, we've got to break this Labour Party, which has had a stranglehold in Wales since the formation of the Parliament over 20 years ago. So this advances that cause, I think, along with their stupid 20 mile an hour policies. Um, anyway, we've run out of time. Um, thank you so much, Jamie Jenkins, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Jamie, for joining me on the show today. We'll have to get you back on again soon. And to the rest of you. Don't go anywhere. Stay put right where you are for more great shows. I'll hear with here on TNT Radio.